It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next album. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your watch? Anybody in my family? Young, he's handsome. They know it. He's a poet, a prophet. Gold ain't have a dad. Who would have dreamed? He carry your beats to cassette. I met Obi as an OG in the section. Mike Corey and Sean Jordan was the essence of the young chorus where we grew from. Seemed like a second, now they less important to the new sun. I guess today weighs more than yesterday. It's morbid to suggest that they will come for them too. When it's a brother younger than you, who humble and who? Used to coach him, now he coached and blew up. Who knew? He caught you on a rough night, you were stumbling through. Now he's telling you to get yours, get yours. All of you reporters made it hard on them. What up, y'all? It's been a minute. Jay Hicks. And the preseason podcast of the year is back, making its triumphant return on a Friday night, December 2nd. Hip Hop Sports Support is back with another podcast, y'all. Appreciate y'all tuning in. I'm sitting up here looking at Utah and USC play for the right to get smoked by Georgia. Right? Well, at least USC is. Utah's not. But, um,. They just the quarterback just got stuck for Utah. <laughs> Somebody put a hat on him for USC, knocked his helmet off and everything. And of course they have to review for targeting. And it's like, why is that targeting? That's that's football. Like that was football my entire life. He didn't even hit him helmet to helmet. He hit him in the chest. The dude's helmet went flying. But of course they got a review for targeting. Fortunately, I don't think anybody got kicked out the game. But this is this is football in 2022. They might as well just be playing flag football, I guess. Um, not the first person to say that, but I mean, sometimes it, 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 the game is soft, y'all. It's soft. If you, if you guys are under the age of what, I don't know, 25, this, this stuff that y'all watching now is not football. It's, it's, it's the stuff that you grew up on. I don't know what it is, but it ain't football. Just here to say, um, what's happening y'all. Uh, like I said, it's been a little bit. Wanted to get back at y'all though. Uh, I know last time I think we came at y'all was with the 10 year anniversary episode, um, we covered a lot of territory on that one, but it'd been a while since we touched base. It had been a while. And so I felt like it was, it was due. We're, we're more than halfway through the NFL season and there's a lot to discuss there. Um, I personally wanted to spend some time getting into the Cleveland Browns. Uh, it's one of the subjects that we talk about most frequently on this podcast, being that I am a Cleveland native and I, I love the Browns, uh, but I am very real about the Browns. And I have some very real commentary about the Browns once again. Um, this week in particular is of interest because Deshaun Watson is back. But the only thing that's been out the game longer than your boy Jay Hicks on the mic has been Deshaun Watson under center for an NFL team. But he will be under center for the Cleveland Browns in two days. What does that mean? 
What does it mean for the Browns? What does it mean for Watson? What does it mean for the NFL? We're going to get into all that. And we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL at large. Maybe talk about the MVP race there in the NFL a little bit. There's not a whole lot to talk about right there, actually. It's not even that interesting of a year uh, in, in terms of MVP. I mean, it, it's open, and yet it's not that fascinating of a race. But what I did want to tell you about also was who I feel is the MVP in hip-hop in 2022. I'll get to that in a little bit. But first, it's the Browns and Deshaun Watson. Now, Watson's coming back. Um, again, this is this will be his first game, his first NFL game in 700 days will take place on Sunday. And usually what really like stokes the flame within me to get behind the mic and, and let my feelings be known on a certain topic is if I feel like everybody's getting that topic wrong and there's a lot of people with a lot bigger platforms, with a lot more followers, with a lot more blue checks that aren't afraid to pay the eight bucks. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of those people out there that share these bogus takes and I just sit back and I hear them and I'm just just banging my head against the wall <laughs> and I just can't take it. And that's what prompts me to fire up the old podcast machine one more time. A lot of people have had a lot of hard feelings about the Browns this year. And if you've watched the Browns at all, you've noticed that they have been a frustrating team to watch. And frustrating is the word that Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, uses all too frequently to describe his own football team. Which is not great because it's like you're responsible for them to not be frustrating, Kevin. But in spite of that, that's kind of what he that's one of his go-to catchphrases in post-game after a, a, another crushing defeat. The Browns are four and seven right now. They should not be four and seven. They should be at bare minimum. Bare minimum. Five and six. Because that Jets game that they lost. At the beginning of the season, week two at home, an abomination. That was football malpractice of the highest degree. And to blow a 13-point lead inside two minutes to a team without timeouts in regulation and lose the game is unconscionable. But the Browns managed to do that. They also outplayed the Falcons and lost that game. They also outplayed the Chargers and lost that game. So you can see how Browns fans are are feeling very annoyed by things. Um, when I listen to Browns fans, I listen to Browns Twitter. You know what I mean? I, I see, um, you know, there, there's Browns Twitter lives heavy on uh, uh, Chops Pro Football. Uh, what's his name? I don't even know what his name is. They just call him Chops, man. He, I think he had a game with Complex Magazine or whatever. He does spaces all the time. I'm, I'm in there. I'm in the spaces. I usually, I, in fact, I've never commented in there. I just tend to sit back and just observe um, because I have my own platform to share my own thoughts for the most part. But I agree with some of the stuff that's said in there. I disagree with a lot of the stuff that's said in there. For instance, the the group was pretty hot after the Miami game where the Browns pretty much got dominated. And I didn't understand that. And they were pretty upset after the Buffalo game. The Buffalo game could have gone a lot better, but Buffalo's better than the Browns. So it's not that shocking that they lost that game. Even though they had some advantages, you know, the game was moved from Buffalo to Detroit. The the 
Bills didn't practice all week. They were dealing with the flu, and the Browns still laid an egg in the second half or whatever. Like, I, I get it. I, I get where there's some anger and angst behind that. But I felt like a lot of it, a lot of it has been misplaced because we knew all along what this season was. And it's not that it was a lost season, because I don't believe that. But we knew, regardless of how many games Deshaun Watson was going to miss through the suspension, that this was going to be the difficult part. And the people, the thing, the biggest thing that people lose sight of over the Deshaun Watson trade and the contract and everything else that's happened with Watson since then as a member of the Cleveland Browns, the thing that people lose sight of the most is the fact that this was not a short term solution. Okay, the Browns signed this man to a five-year contract worth $234 million guaranteed. That is an investment. That tells you that the plan is for Deshaun Watson to be the starting quarterback for the Browns for years to come. They can always restructure the deal. Something can go sideways and, you know, who knows what might happen. But the plan is for him to be in Cleveland for the long haul. The Browns, I've said it many times, have not had a franchise quarterback in 30 years. Okay? Say what you want about Jimmy and D. Haslam. And I've said a lot about Jimmy and D. Haslam on this podcast and in writing on this website. Say what you want about them. They identified a problem and they stopped short of nothing to solve it. That problem was the fact that they did not have a franchise quarterback. And they went out and they got a guy. Not just any guy, but a guy that when he became available, half the league wanted him. It wasn't just Cleveland. Contrary to popular belief, the Browns were not the only team interested in his services. The entire NFL was, or at least half the league was interested in his services. Stephen A. Smith says he has it on authority. That it was like 14 teams that were after him. Okay, but the Browns actually got the guy, and then all of a sudden, you know, I've been over this. Go back and listen to our podcast back in March where I talked about Deshaun Watson because that's kind of like the precursor to what we're about to see. That was Deshaun Watson as a Cleveland Brown at the beginning stages. Now we're at Deshaun Watson, the end stages of the beginning stages, if that makes sense. This is the end of the hardest part of Watson being the Browns quarterback. That's what people don't understand. When they made the trade for Watson and they gave up all those picks and they gave up the goodwill of the fans and they gave up being viewed upon as an organization with some sense of a moral compass. They did that knowing that Watson would be the long-term solution. They knew also that this year was going to be difficult. What's difficult about it? Well, the trade, the loss of the draft capital, the without having the immediate tangible benefits from the trade, the PR beating, the, the lashing that the Browns received as an organization. Somehow the Texans, all these months later, the Texans are still skating by despite the fact that I told y'all back in March... But whatever that last podcast was I did about Watson, I told y'all back then 
that Watson was either set up for what I believe was by a racist o- racist ownership group in, tech- in Houston. Or at the very least, they knew about some of Watson's transgressions and covered it up. It's at bare minimum, it was that. They knew about what he was doing and they covered it up. And we now know that they were, in, in fact, trying to assist him with the NDAs and all that. And at worst, this was a complete sham and a setup by a racist ownership group and a racist organization. And I believe all of those things are on the table still. But Houston gets the, they get a pass. For some, for some reason, I, I don't understand why, but they, nobody cares about them. Only the Browns are getting uh, roasted for their involvement in all this. And that roasting was the hard part. It was media people, sports outlets, and pundits going on television every day. Anytime a new accusation came out, anytime um, a HBO story dropped, every Tuesday, Tony Busby, the lawyer of the plaintiffs involved in these massage therapist cases, was planning some sort of drop on a Tuesday, and some piece of news was going to come out to make Watson look worse. And he executed this plan, this drip campaign. He did this. And every time that happened, things were going to get worse for the Browns. And then, with the hearings, what's the organization going to do in terms of how they manage the suspension? What's the punishment going to be? Is it zero games? Is it six games? Is it a full season? Is it indefinitely? We don't know. But the Browns had to wade through all that. What's going to be the penalty? How is it going to impact the team? How do you approach training camp in the preseason? How do you divvy up the reps in practice? All that stuff was exceedingly difficult for the team to manage. Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Berry, they have to sit there in front of the media. And it's a firing squad. They have to answer questions on Deshaun's behalf. His teammates have to answer questions on Deshaun's behalf. Deshaun, on occasion, will get up in front of the media and he has to answer questions on his own behalf. That was the hard part. The entire country looking down at the Browns fan base and many Browns fans themselves jumping ship, allegedly. Allegedly. Because I don't believe that. As soon as the Browns start winning again and Watson starts throwing touchdowns, they'll be back. But they claim that they were done with the team and they hung up their orange and brown colors. Many fans claim that. Many fans said, I don't want this man representing my football team. I never quite understood it, but that's what they said. And many of them were Baker Mayfield diehards, right? And they were able to use this, the fact that the Browns were willing to jettison Mayfield to bring in a guy with a checkered past. They used that as fuel, even you know, even more fuel on the fire of why they would want to divorce themselves from Brown's fandom. And every every person on television going at him. This, this is what it's been. And then, of course, the games start. And Jacoby Bissett actually played pretty well. But he's not Deshaun Watson. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But the point is, he ain't Deshaun Watson. And so, the difference in talent between Brissett and Watson is evident and now the Browns are entering this season trying to compete for a playoff spot knowing that the starting quarterback is out for more than half the year. That is the hard part. Game planning, 
for two quarterbacks coming up with, you know, a playbook or whatever, trying to slowly work Watson back in, get him back in the building, do all that stuff. Having Watson went over his teammates, complete all of the mandates of his, uh, you know, training or counseling, whatever he had to go through in order to gain re-entry and have the suspension lifted at 11 games. All of that, all of that is the hard part. Now the hard part is over. Now we can get back to football. Yes, he will be rusty. Yes, you will continue to hear people, uh, you know, protest. People make claims and, and complain about Watson either being in football, being on the team, whatever. You're going to hear some of that stuff. You may even hear another accusation come out of left field. I, I wouldn't. I would be surprised if another accusation didn't come. Honestly, simply because I think it was a setup. Not to say that again. Not to say that Deshaun had any wrong was was absolved of any wrongdoing, but as I said before, back in in uh, in the spring, I don't believe Deshaun is this deviant and monster the way that they painted him out to be, and it wasn't adding up to me. But barring a situation like that, the the all the stormy weather has subsided, and we have rainbows ahead of us. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, if you are a supporter of the team, why? Because you have your franchise quarterback. He is he is he is in uniform. He is healthy. He is motivated. He is talented. He's ready to go. And you had not only do you have him for six games this year, and although it's a slim chance, still a chance that the Browns can make the playoffs this year. You have him for the year after this, and the following year, and then the next year, and then the next year, and then, more than likely, a few years after that. So, we, as as Browns fans, we just had to get through this from the day that they made the trade up until this Sunday at, at 12 noon Eastern, or 1 o'clock Eastern, rather. That was the that was the hard part, and the hard part is over. We're looking at the hourglass, and it's almost out of sand on the hard part, okay? The easy part's here now. And in fact, here's how you know the, the easy part is here, because people are already starting to flip the narrative and, and change positions up. I listen to a, um, a local radio show in Cleveland quite often um, and, and uh, on, uh, on the ESPN Airwave, uh, the local affiliate in Cleveland. And probably the most high-profile uh, <laughs> radio personality they have there was on the radio this morning. And he even said that he believed that Deshaun was set up. I found that interesting because I have never heard him say that before today. This is the first time I'd ever heard that. And to make it <laughs> even more rich, the producer of that show who was vehemently against Watson coming to Cleveland from the beginning, all of a sudden, today, says, you know, I was against Deshaun coming to Cleveland all along from the beginning. I said I didn't want him. This guy was a baker, bro, by the way. And he's like, but today, I've turned over a new leaf. And I will be cheering for him on Sunday. 
and I and and I, I want to give Deshaun Watson a chance. And it's like, really, really, y'all had like eight months to have this dude's back, and y'all ain't had nothing positive to say about him for the most part. And then now, all of a sudden, that he's about to be playing for you on Sunday. Now you want to say, well, he was set up. Now you want to say, oh, well, I'm going to give him a chance. Oh, I'm going to be rooting for him. You weren't rooting for him when it was difficult to say that you were going to root for him back in April. You know what I'm saying? Or back in July in training camp when we didn't know what the suspension was going to be. And we were getting hit over the head with a new case every week, a new accusation every week. And we didn't know where it was going to end with this guy. And when that was going on, y'all ain't had nothing to say positive about Deshaun. But now, all of a sudden, now that he's going to be under center on Sunday, ah, you know what? We'll give him a chance after all, you know. Ah, I'm going to give him enough. I've turned over a new leaf. You know, I see the light now. I want to go ahead and order my Deshaun Watson jersey on Fanatics immediately. Have it express shipped. Like, it's, it's just bizarre. But that's how you know. That the hard part is over is that these media people are already starting to flip now and and back this dude when they were killing him. They killed him for months. They killed him for months. They killed him for him waffling on his involvement and his level of guilt. They had nothing but foul stuff to say about Deshaun Watson. Now that he's under center, now it's starting to it's it's starting to change. The leaves of change are upon us. Okay, what does it mean for the Browns though? Well, as mentioned, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, that that seems like a pipe dream at this point. They would literally have to go undefeated the rest of the season, which there aren't a lot of, like, juggernauts left on their schedule. It's a lot of, you know, Washingtons and Houston and a couple of division games. You know what I'm saying? I think all three division – they play all three teams in a division, and they're already 2-1 in those games, and they probably should have beat Baltimore earlier this year. So all the games left are winnable, but the idea that they're going to win last week against the GOAT in overtime and then peel off six straight with Watson, who hasn't played in two years, seems unlikely. But here's another common narrative that I've been hearing that has me scratching my head, y'all. People saying, well, Deshaun Watson's not going to play defensive tackle. The Browns are the worst run defense in the league. Deshaun Watson can't, he can't cover a receiver Deshaun Watson can't play linebacker. He's not going to tackle anybody. So this team's not going anywhere with Deshaun Watson. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. These same jokers get on TV and radio and tell y'all every day, quarterback is the most important position in sports. You got to have the quarterback. You can't win without an elite quarterback. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. The quarterback covers all sins. He washes everything away and makes everything clean. If you have an elite quarterback, you can get away with murder. You can do anything. That's what they tell you. Have y'all not heard that? I've heard it. I've heard it for years. It was never quite true, but that's what they made you believe. You, If you didn't have a quarterback... Your franchise was worthless. If you didn't, and when I say a quarterback, I'm talking about one of the top five to seven guys. If you don't have a top five to seven guy, you basically have no chance of winning the Super Bowl. And why is that? Because the margin of error is so much thinner when you don't have a top seven guy. 
If you don't have Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, up until this year, you know what I'm saying? If you didn't have anybody like that, lots of luck. If you didn't have a Herbert or a Lamar or a, you know what I'm saying? You were screwed. You would have to throw Jalen Hurts in there this year. If you didn't have a guy like that, you were screwed. You had no chance of making a deep playoff run. Or at least that's what they led you to believe. Now, I could counter that and say, well, Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl last year. Is he all that great? He led the league in picks last year. He led the league in picks this year. And the team stunk this year. You know, I mean, like you could pick it apart. But nobody ever cared about it before then. You know, before now. Nobody cared about it. It was always... You need a quarterback. And if you don't have a quarterback, blah, 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 blah. Well, wait a minute. Now the Browns have a quarterback, and the response to the Browns getting a franchise guy is, well, he can't play defensive tackle and he can't stop the run? That's a ridiculous position to take. How can somebody like Deshaun Watson positively impact the Browns? Well, even though he can't play nose guard, I think we all should know by now that an elite quarterback levels up everything on the roster. How? An elite quarterback makes plays. He makes plays on critical downs, like third down and fourth down. He keeps drives alive. What does keeping drives alive mean? It means that you maintain possession of the ball. It means that the opposing team's defense is on the field longer. It tires them out throughout the course of the game. Okay, obviously it means you're going to score more points if your offense has a better quarterback. Okay, so that elementary aspect of it should not be lost on anybody, but it goes much deeper than that. Okay, because the longer your offense is on the field, that means the longer your defense is on the bench. The Browns defense has been quite leaky this year, giving up huge plays in the secondary due to quote-unquote miscommunication. Attention, Joe Woods. Attention, Joe Woods. Whatever you want to call it, they had some bad blunders in the secondary. The book is out on the Browns. You can run on them all day long. We know that that was a shortcoming of the team going into this year, that they were not strong up front on the defensive line and in the linebacking spot. But if you have Deshaun Watson, you're going to be possessing the ball a lot longer because those fourth down and third down conversions that Jacoby Brissett couldn't quite make or when he had to go to his second and third read or spin out of trouble in the pocket when he's about to get hit by three dudes at one time and then scramble for a first down, those are sacks with Jacoby Brissett. Those are first downs with Deshaun Watson. Okay? All the, you know... uh, all the uh, defensive holding that's going to be picked up by the Browns because he's going to be so elusive in the pocket. That's going to keep drives alive. Those holding penalties that come because the defense can't cover that long because he's going to be dancing around back there making things happen. Okay? He's obviously going to help the run game because A, he can run himself quite well. And B, it open, and, and that opens up the RPO game, you know what I'm saying? Maybe he keeps it. Is he going to hand it to Chubb? Is he going to hand it to Hunt? What's he going to do with it? All that stuff, right? The run game is automatically enhanced in a way that it was not with Brissett under center. Okay? So we know the run game is going to be better. We know the passing game is going to be better because Deshaun is a more efficient quarterback with a better arm and a more accurate, he's a more accurate passer. We talked about the defense. Okay, the defense is going to be better because you should be seeing less of the Browns defense on the field. You're going to be seeing a tired defense for the opposing team because this is the Browns offense 
that was halal, 11th in points per game under Jacoby Brissett. So you bring in Watson, once he gets back acclimated to playing professional football, the sky's the limit. This is, this is an offense that literally could be the best in the NFL. I'm not exaggerating. I'm talking literally the number one offense in the NFL under Deshaun Watson. With Stefanski, with this run game, with this offensive line. Okay? What does it mean for the special teams? The Browns special teams has been shoddy at best this season. Well, they have a shaky young field goal kicker. You're probably going to be kicking fewer field goals with said kicker. With Deshaun Watson. Because now you can go for it on fourth down with a lot more confidence. Okay? You're probably going to be sustaining drives longer, which means you're going to be closer to the goal line more frequently than you were with Brissett. So what would have been a drive that stalled at the 38-yard line and turns into a a, a 57-yard field goal or 55-yard field goal is now, maybe now that drive stalls at the 20-yard line and it turns into a 37-yard field goal. Okay? That stuff matters. The special teams plays are magnified by the fact that these games are so close. They were close with Brissett. With Watson, in theory, the Browns will be ahead quite comfortably in a lot of these games. Therefore, it minimizes the impact of special teams. If a kick gets blocked, if the Browns give up a bad punt return, if the Browns, you know, buff an onside kick or something like that, these things that were catastrophic before might just be footnotes on the game now. That doesn't mean they don't need to clean it up. It doesn't mean they don't need to fire their special teams coordinator. But it just means that the margin for error has widened significantly with Deshaun under center. And nobody is considering that. So when they say, well, Deshaun Watson can't tackle, he's not playing nose guard or or inside linebacker, that's nonsense. His presence automatically makes the offense better, and it makes the defense better. This is what we see from elite quarterbacks all the time. Because the Chiefs have Mahomes, and Mahomes is elite. The Chiefs' mistakes don't even really come up that much because they know that they have a guy that can cover it up. This is what we were always taught. The same thing they said about basketball. Oh, if you have LeBron on your team, it covers up all the sins of everybody else. Yeah, that's how it works. If you have a player that gifted, if you have a player that gifted, that's what happens. The star player covers up the warts, okay? For some reason, we've forgotten that with Watson. The Browns will be playing from ahead a lot more now, which means that opposing teams won't be able to run on the Browns as much. And again, run defense is their big weakness. It's going to be nullified quite a bit because they're going to be playing from ahead more because their offense is going to be scoring more points. Okay, none of this is rocket science. People don't want to. People want to pretend that they don't want to give Watson his due. I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you this, Kevin Stefanski has been coaching with a damn straight jacket on for three years. And people were trying to run him out of town this year. People were getting so frustrated with the Browns after these losses. And I'm just like, y'all don't understand that Watson's coming back. Okay, and maybe this year's a lost year. But guess what? He'll be here next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. 
Okay, so all of this short-term misery is going to turn into long-term success for the Cleveland Browns. Barring anything crazy, anything can happen. Man, right? you get it. Injuries happen. You know, whatever. Another case happen. Who knows? You know what I'm saying? But assuming everything stays as is, sky's the limit. All right. Kevin Stefanski's been coaching with a straight jacket on for three years because his quarterbacks have been Baker Mayfield, Case Keenum, Nick Mullins, and Jacoby Brissett. Those have been his quarterbacks. And in with those four guys, the Browns are four and seven this year. Not great, but not pathetic. He got Baker to the playoffs one year. Look at what Baker is now. Stefanski got that guy to the playoffs. Okay? I mean, like, this, and he, and he won games with Case Keenum and Nick Mullins. I think he won with Nick Mullins. He definitely won with Case Keenum. And I think he won a game. I believe Nick Mullins won a game uh, on a last-second drive last year with the Browns. So we've seen Stefanski pull some games together with different quarterbacks. Now he's got an elite quarterback. And we love that word elite, don't we? Elite. They have an elite quarterback. In Deshaun Watson. Go watch the highlights, y'all. I dare y'all to watch the highlights. And if you're a Browns fan, you're going to not help but have tears welled up in your eyes. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be so, you're going to be overwhelmed with joy to see that we have a guy that talented at that position playing for this football team. The last time we saw Deshaun Watson, 4,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven picks. And that was just two years ago. I know we want to make a big deal about he hasn't played in so many days, but that's not that long ago. I remember back when the the story that always sticks with me is Brett Auerbach when he drafted Larry Bird. He drafted Larry Bird the year before Larry Bird could even play in the NBA. He was still didn't have any eligibility to come to the NBA. He was stuck in college for another year. And he drafted Larry Bird knowing that he wasn't going to get him for another year. And, they, and people went up to him and said, Red, why would you draft a guy that you can't play this year? And Red Auerbach's response was, do you know how quick a year is? Do you know how fast a year goes by? We're going to have this kid, and he's going to be our franchise's best player for the next decade. And that's the kind of forward thinking it took to get Larry Bird ahead of the game. He was a year, he was a, a year ahead of everybody else. The Browns are, are making the same wager that Watson will be the man in short order once again. And I think he will be. I do. And I believe Kevin Stefanski is the coach that's going to get him there. He led the NFL. That 4,800 yards, Watson in 2020, led the National Football League. You may have heard that. What you probably haven't heard is that Watson led the NFL in yards per attempt in 2020 as well which is a stat that a lot of people point to to uh, identify the, a level of, of a quarterback's effectiveness is yards per attempt. He led the NFL in 2020 in that stat. He was a half a percentage point away from leading the league in completion percentage, and he was second in passer rating. All in 2020, just less than two full calendar years ago, he had played. he's played most recently. And it was in that time frame that he was putting up those numbers for a terrible Texans team. What is he going to do on this team with Nick Chubb? What is he going to do with this offensive line? What is he going to do with a consummate pro like Amari Cooper 
the type of receiver that he hasn't had since he lost DeAndre Hopkins. If I were the Browns, the first thing I would do this offseason, there's two things I would really do this offseason. One is I would be breaking the bank next to find my pass rusher to put opposite of Miles Garrett. Nobody ever talks about that. The, the, the shortcomings of the Browns' defense are pretty obvious, but what they don't talk about is how Miles gets doubled every single play of every single game, and he's not able to wreak the havoc that he should be because the other guys on the defensive line don't really make the opposing team pay for it. They need to go out and do like how Buffalo got Von Miller or how the Rams got Von Miller a couple of years ago. They need to go find another guy to pair of Miles Garrett on the other side of the line to rush the passer. That's one thing. But the other thing that the Browns need to do is they need – to get, not, I would say not one, but two burners at receiver. Because Watson can throw it deep, and he can throw it deep well. And so you're going to want to play to that strength. I would highly recommend that they find, you know, maybe one veteran receiver and then maybe another kid in the draft. I don't know if Anthony Schwartz is going to work out like that and be that burner that they want him to be. But they got to go out and find two guys. There was speculation it could be Will Fuller. Some people were saying Brandon Cooks. These guys have some familiarity with Watson or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I would go get two guys that can stretch the field, that are legitimate deep threats that Watson can fling it to. But under Jacoby Brissett, last thing, the Browns were fifth in total offense, 11th in points per game, Jacoby Brissett was 7th in quarterback rating. Not passer rating, but quarterback rating. He was 7th in the NFL. That's pretty damn good for a backup quarterback. The 11th best offense in the league for a backup quarterback is pretty good. That's pretty great. Put Deshaun Watson in that. (laughs) Okay? Like, like now we're getting the best driver in the world driving the fastest car in the world. That's, that's kind of where we're getting towards, you know. It's like Patrick Mahomes would be great if he played for the Detroit Lions. But you put him with Andy Reid, now you got an MVP. Now you got a guy that can take you to multiple Super Bowls. And speaking of Mahomes, I'll just transition off the Browns on that note. But I look forward to watching them on Sunday. I don't think Watson's going to be all that I'm making him out to be immediately. But I think before the season is over, we're going to be seeing what this whole thing is going to look like. And I think teams will be praying that the Browns don't sneak into the playoffs somehow. Because they, they ain't going to want to play them in the playoffs. With, not with number four under center. But speaking of Patty Mahomes, um, I mean, he probably is the leader in the clubhouse for MVP right now. The Chiefs are 9-2. and two, And every, every game I tweet... That the Chiefs, somehow they just keep winning these games. Like, I tweeted it back in, like, October. I could have tweeted it, like, four years ago. If they're not playing Tom Brady, they got a real good chance of just figuring out how to win a game at the end. And so you have to give him a lot of credit for that. And you have to give Mahomes credit. So he's probably the leader for MVP right now. I don't know if he's going to win it. I thought Josh Allen was going to win it coming into the season. Um, I thought Josh Allen was the leading candidate for maybe about 40% of the season. Then he kind of banged up his elbow, started turning the ball over, some weird stuff. Um, Mahomes has been fabulous this year. Two has been fabulous when he's been healthy. It's just been some. It's been a weird year. It's been a weird year when you see like the Jets are fighting for a playoff spot and the Giants and the NFC. Um, the Eagles are ten and one. Although I don't think that they're as good as their record would indicate. Uh, I like the Eagles. I think they could make a run. I would not be shocked if they ended up in the Super Bowl. 
Uh, I probably wouldn't bet on it. I think San Francisco probably has the most complete team, but I've been a San Francisco guy for years. Y'all know that. If you guys paid attention to this podcast at all, you've known that with the exception of Brady going to Tampa, like San Francisco has been my favorite NFC team for some time. Um, I just love the way that they play the game and uh, their defense is always flying around. I wish the Browns played defense like the Niners do. Like they, they bring passion to the defensive end of the game every week and the Browns don't really do that. Uh, the Cowboys are having a great year as well. I don't want to leave out Minnesota. Minnesota's nine and two, although they got smoked by Dallas. But in Dallas, eight and three, many of those games are with Cooper Rush. So that's worth noting as well. I don't know what's up with Tampa Bay. Brady's had uh, a pretty tumultuous season. I think we can all agree. Personally, I think that Tampa's going to make the playoffs. I never put anything past Tom Brady. You guys know that. So if they made a deep run somehow and figured it out, I would not be surprised at all. But their team just does not appear to have it this year. I anticipate Tom Brady will return next year. Now that he's shooken off that nasty uh, family situation. (laughs) Now that he was able to uh, shake loose of that family thing, you know, not even able to get that out of the picture. Uh, I think he's going to return for another year of football, at least one. And I think it's going to be with San Francisco. I think he's going to move heaven and earth to get to San Francisco. I even heard speculation to this week that he was going to try to go back to New England. I'm like, "Mm, have you met Bill Belichick? Like, you think that that guy's ready to swallow his pride and and basically admit defeat and have Brady come back? I don't know about that. I believe Brady's going to move heaven and earth to get to San Francisco, which is where he wanted to go all along to play for his hometown boyhood favorite team or whatever and and be near his elderly parents. I think that's what he's going to do. Um, He might not be near his kids, though. That's the only catch, at least. Not two of them, but I think he wants to play a year, at least one year in for the 49ers. And the Niners have a Super Bowl team. I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough to get him there this year. I know Trey Lance wasn't good enough to get him there this year. But I think Brady's going to want to give it a shot in San Fran. But I think San Fran is probably the most complete team in the NFC right now. The Packers falling apart. I think I picked them to make the playoffs, but I'm not surprised that they fell apart. I've been kind of off Green Bay for a few years now. Um, it's pretty wide open this year. I mean, like, you know Kansas City's going to be there. Lord help you if you have to play Kansas City on Sunday Night Football because you know Travis Kelsey's going to score seven touchdowns. Uh, shout out to Travis Kelsey, the pride of Cleveland Heights High School. Uh, my old stomping grounds. Um, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. But I would say that I've, every time Kelsey goes off, there's like this Twitter, Twitter bursts into flames with this comparison of Kelsey and Gronk, who's the better tight end? Or who's the GOAT tight end? Travis Kelsey has vaulted himself into the GOAT tight end discussion. He really has. I would not say that he was a better football player than Rob Gronkowski. Gronkowski is the best tight end that I've ever seen. I didn't see Mike Ditka. I, I barely saw any of Ozzie Newsom. Never saw Kellen Winslow. I was a kid for Shannon Sharp, mostly. Um, you know what I'm saying? And then everybody else since then, right? Jimmy Graham, Gronk, Kelsey, uh, Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez. Saw all those guys. Gronk's the best I've seen because of his pass catching ability, his ability to break tackles, his, he can run. But the thing that separates him from everybody else is he was the best blocking tight end 
probably ever. I mean, he was an elite blocking tight end. Is that word again? Um, but what that meant was it gave the Patriots another dimension. So on those cold weather days in January where they just needed to grind out an ugly, you know, 17 to 14 win or whatever it was, Gronk could could get it out the mud as a as a as a run blocker. You know what I'm saying? And he would dominate guys. And I'm not saying that Kelsey or any of these other guys are bad blockers, but they ain't Gronk. Okay? So if you want to say Gronk and Kelsey as pass catchers are about equals, I think we can agree with that. But where Gronk separates himself is as a pass catcher. Not to mention the fact that Gronk was hurt half his career. So uh, imagine what Gronk would have done. Like Travis Kelsey, uh, knock on wood, has not gotten hurt and will not get hurt. Um, Gronkowski was constantly hurt. So if you can imagine, if he flipped that around and if Kelsey was dealing with injuries his whole career and Gronk was perpetually healthy, what kind of numbers do you think Gronk would have put up? How many how many more Super Bowls would he have won with Brady if he never been banged up? Something to think about. I don't have any massive NFL predictions for the playoffs just yet. It's too wide open. It's too convoluted. I'm not going to pretend that I know what's going to happen at this point. But I'm just excited to see Sunday. We got some great games Sunday. And I'm excited to see Deshaun Watson take his place as the new starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. I want to get out of here with a, a little bit of hip-hop talk. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit. It was a year ago, uh, thereabout, that we lost Young Dolph. And we've lost many, many other rappers of varying degrees of fame in the last 12 or 13 months. And uh, the most prominent one that's been the most recent was Takeoff of Migos. He was tragically shot to death. It was about a month ago at this point. Um, And it was a year ago that I was on this podcast with uh, Kenneth Hicks where I said, if this doesn't end soon, there's going to be another like big name MC that's going to be slain. And you had to start attaching names to it to really understand the weight of it and the gravity of it. Like, imagine if Busta Rhymes got killed. Imagine if 21 Savage was gunned down. Imagine if Kevin Gates got killed. Imagine if Styles P got killed. Like, these guys... You don't want to fix your lips to say stuff like that because people say words have power. But you know what has more power than words? Guns. Guns have a lot of power. Guns and poor decisions. You know what I mean? And we see these young black kids, man, hyped up off hubris or whatever. I don't know what. But false bravado, confidence... The need to be right. The need to be tough. I don't know what it is, man, but we're just not valuing life the way that we should. And it's devastating. Takeoff was 28 years old. That's crazy young. He wasn't even 30 years old. He had been famous for, what, eight years? So he first came onto the scene in his early 20s. The man was 28 years old and he's gone. That is terrible. That's terrible. And I don't care if it was friendly fire or whatever the case. 
you got people running around with guns that probably shouldn't have them. That's kind of, you know, in a nutshell, what we're dealing with. And it's just sad, man. It's really, really, really sad. And I'm not saying that to try to sound profound. Because saying somebody that dies of gun violence is sad is not a profound statement. But it doesn't make it any less truthful. It's just very, very sad to see him go like that. And he's not going to be the last one. Nobody cares. They don't. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the. You see these mass shootings? You know, every few weeks, every few months, another mass shooting, somebody shoots up a club or a grocery store or a theater or something or a parade or something. Makes you scared to go outside, a church, whatever. And people just get guns from wherever and just start taking lives. Like, and, I mean, I'm getting I'm getting off into another subject because it's crazy that um, you know people gun supporters like to say, "Well, guns don't kill people; people kill people." And it's like, yeah, that may be true, but it's way easier to do it with guns. Like, don't you see that? Like, okay, people kill people, not guns. All right, fine. But if I snap my fingers and eliminated every gun in America right now, would we have these mass casualties? No. No. Even if you want to say people would start setting fires or or there'd be more bombings and stuff like that, even if that were the case, it's way easier for somebody to go get a gun, legally or illegally, and start firing on people than it is to turn into a chemist and to build a bomb in your basement to the magnitude that it could do some significant damage like that. We're not going to be seeing mass bombings like we're seeing with mass shootings, okay? We're not. But people really want to, I don't know, man. People just really love their guns in this country for, for I, don't, I don't know why. Like, this should be one of those things that everybody's united against. Like, that, like this is how I know America is in trouble. is because the things that it seems like every American should be on board with, we're not on board with at all. Like, COVID protocols. Like, everybody in this country should have been on board with that. You know what I'm saying? But we got half the country fighting it for no good reason. You know what I mean? People just want to be difficult. And then we wonder why the disease spreads so much. And then lives are lost. Same thing with this. People will love their guns. And so as a result, people have to die. Why? How many home invasions per year are prevented or defended by a a legal uh, gun, gun owner who fired on somebody who came through the door? Like, how often does that happen? Or how often, like, how many people do you know that that's happened to? Who, where you have a buddy who owns a gun. And he's a responsible gun owner and somebody broke into his or her house and then they opened fire on said intruder and protected their family successfully. How many people do you know that that's happened to? How many times have you seen the legal gun owner play the role of Good Samaritan and when somebody was firing on on random people in, in random civilians... They took out their weapon and gunned down the perp. How often have you seen that? Once? Twice? 
Compare that to the number of people that you see or have heard or have known that have been killed by guns. All right? You see, you see what I'm saying? Do the math. All right? It's a big problem, but nobody gives a shit. But what's crazy is that, like, I think it was Lil Boozy that said, or was it Nori? I forget who it was. I think it was Lil Boozy that rap, rappers are, in the, being a rapper is the most dangerous profession there is. And it's true. And we're seeing it with this violence. But I, I want to offer my condolences to take off in his family and Migos and, uh, you know, Atlanta for his loss. And it's just uh, terrible for hip hop. It's the first time I've actually spoken about it since it happened. So that's why I'm taking this opportunity now, even though it's, it's some weeks old at this point. But as I said, he's not going to be the last. So, you know, a few years ago it was Nip, then it was Dolph, then it was Takeoff, and there's been many others besides those guys. I, you know, again, I don't want to not mention them, but it's just, you know, I'm talking about a, of a certain level of, uh, of fame or prominence. And there will be more. There will be more. And it's just, it's just unfortunate that nobody cares. Like, nobody in the hood cares. Nobody outside the hood cares. Politicians don't care. You know, liberals claim to care. I don't even know how true that is. Conservatives don't care, largely. Like, but you would think, again, you would think that everybody would get on board with the fact that we don't want our public facilities shot up by random wackos. Like, you would think that we would all be on the same page with that, and therefore we'd be working to try to get rid of that. You would think that the pro-gun people would be going to any length to try to come up with some kind of gun control solutions or, you know, to would go to any length to come up with the social services necessary to help out these people who kill people. You know what I mean? Instead of just jamming them in prisons or threatening to, I don't know, man, I'm going on another tangent, but, um, I did want to do something real quick, though. I wanted to, to offer uh, up my MVP of hip-hop this year. And um, this is a man who's been in the game for 30 years. Going on 30 summers, I believe is what he told us. He's from Queens. He's a legend. He's still putting in work. His name is Nasir Jones. Nas is the MVP of hip-hop for 2022 why well he just put out an album king's disease in november arguably one of the better albums of this year anthony houston friend of the show said that it's very good i agree that it's very good probably the best of the three king's disease albums um i don't think Nas gets enough credit for how he put out life is good in 2012 and that was kind of an inflection point i feel like for rap because Nas and people of his era were and are getting older and so he took it upon himself to talk about different topics and to come at hip hop in a different way this this adult contemporary style hip hop not to say that he was the first to do that but I thought his album Life is Good was excellent and deserved the Grammy that year because he was talking about things like fatherhood and divorce, right? 
and like real things that grown men go through like not just playing with guns and, and killing people all the time but he was talking about some other stuff some other real aspects of life that were relatable we saw Jay-Z do something very similar with, with 444 in 2017 and so I think this lane of you know like I said this adult contemporary lane of hip hop is is a is a critical one because these artists aren't really going anywhere they're still putting music out hip hop has been a young man's game since the beginning well now we're at a point where the 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 playing field is large enough to house everybody we have enough room for all the new kids and for all the old heads right and that dynamic has been under some scrutiny of late Oh, young kids disrespecting old kids. You know what I'm saying? Supposedly 21 Savage said something about Nas, about him not being relevant. And it, it sounded weird, but he said it was taken out of context. And hip-hop kind of flipped out about it for a few days. And, like, everybody was just kind of going in, like, what does this mean? What does it mean? How could he say that? He's talking to a legend. And some people were like, well, he's not relevant or whatever. He just has loyal fans, but he's not relevant. And it's like, well, he put out a great album just, like, recently. Nas said squash all that I'm going to put out a record with 21 Savage and it's going to be like number one on the the Apple Music charts or whatever for hip hop singles or whatever it was like that's what he did this week and to me that's what he's, that's what solidified hip hop's MVP for the year for Nas he put out a great album he's talking about stuff still that we all need to hear Saying, you know, just on the heels of Takeoff's death, boy, you're you lucky if you get old. He said that on his new album, King's Disease 3. Talking about how fortunate it is to grow in wisdom and, and push pride to the side and just, you know what I mean? Learn to get old and, and be okay with it and, and know that everything is not about violence. What else did Nas do on this album? He had the line with Jay Z where he said uh, he's, he's still sitting in his whip in his Range Rover breaking down bars from Takeover, texting Jigga like "nigga, this ain't over." That's a brilliant, brilliant line. Because as intense as that feud was at the time between Nas and Jay in 2001, that was only six or seven years removed from when Biggie and Pac had got shot. Matter of fact, Pac got shot in 1996. This was in 2001. When this is going on. So we're talking five years. Biggie was killed in 97. So we're talking four years ago. Like four years later rather. That Nas and Jay-Z. So like at the height of the Nas and Jay-Z beef. You know and knowing that these guys are like. You know they've been in the streets. And they you know they, they did some gang banging themselves. In a lot of instances. And they surround themselves with some some people. Who was willing to do some some dastardly things. Right. It's not inconceivable to think maybe we could lose Jay. Maybe we could lose Nas back then. And because the, the, for those maybe not old enough to remember, it was pretty intense. The Nas and Jay beef. It was pretty intense. It was. And to go from that to where we are today, where Nas is still looking at TakeOver and Ether as a competitive thing on wax but still having the friendship with Jay now as they're both 
in or approaching their 50s to say, nigga, this ain't over. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because you can really see him doing it too. You can definitely see Nas texting Jay and saying that to him. And Jay-Z probably just laughing when he receives it. But what Nas did is he put in perspective what respect is and the valuing of human life, particularly black life, particularly black male life in this country, which frankly, nobody really seems to care about. Not black people, not white people, not anybody. But what Nas is saying is, hey, we can beef, we can put it past us, we can become friends, we can break bread together, we can strike business together. And I'm still going to go at you from that competitive stuff that hip-hop was founded upon. I'm still going to have that competitive edge about me because I believe I'm the best. But it's never going to resort to like literal violence. That's Jay-Z's my man. We're both too old for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nas has got grown kids. Or a grown kid. Jay-Z's a father of three now. Like, we ain't got time for this no more. Like, because, I mean, like, that's childish stuff. And I learned to put childish things away. Right? Isn't that what they say? So Nas being the, the elder statesman of hip-hop that he is, putting into perspective the valuing of, of life and, and how cool it is to get old and how we need to understand that we're lucky to get there, which is something that my parents tell me all the time because I tease them for being old. <laughs> but they tell me that, and I, and I believe them. And then you have Nas also at the same breath Talking about Jay-Z, still being competitive, still putting out relevant music, still putting out arguably the album of the year, still putting in work with Hit Boy, who's a very, very relevant producer of today, having a marriage with him in the studio that's produced lots of music in a short amount of time. And it's just beautiful to see Nas thriving in this space. For those reasons, he Nas is my MVP for 2020. He's trying to save hip-hop. He's trying to help hip-hop mature. He's trying to help hip-hop survive. And he's trying to help hip-hop remain competitive. All at the same time. He's deading beefs with younger rappers before they even become a thing. Because he could have easily taken you know, a 15-year-old, a 20-year-old approach and, and made a diss record about 21 Savage. He didn't do that. He made a record with 21 Savage. That's the kind of unity that we need in hip-hop. If we have that kind of unity amongst not just our music, but our culture, we won't see people like Takeoff lose their life at 28 years old. This is Jay Hicks, man. Signing off. Thank y'all for listening. It's good to be back behind the mic. Uh, I know I talked for quite a while, so I appreciate y'all taking the time. Let's see what Deshaun Watson does on the field for a change. Uh, Let's see how hip-hop evolves. Hopefully one day we'll learn from our mistakes and um, and we'll be back to talk about whatever happens good, bad, or indifferent we know we got the NFL playoffs coming up in a couple of weeks 
You know, we always put in work around NFL playoff time. This year will be no different. And you know that, uh, and the NBA is going on right now too, obviously. So, always something to talk about. Let me know what you think. Who's your MVP of hip hop for this year? What do you think Deshaun Watson's going to do for the Browns? And get at us, man. Appreciate y'all for listening. Like, rate, subscribe us on the podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. Shout us out, big us up, share with somebody you know that might be interested. I love y'all. Appreciate you. Peace.